thanks to Cryo Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Good to be back. How's your week? On this very auspicious or suspicious occasion. What's auspicious about it? What are the What are the auspices telling us? Well, I'm glad you asked, Matt. Um, now, is it true we haven't got lucky this week? No, no, Lockie's uh, got the grass skirt on and uh, saying aloha in Hawaii for the next two weeks. Ah, there we go. So, so you will be um, pr- editing the, uh, pr- <laughs> the product this week, is that right? Yeah, we may have to push that 100th show back a little bit, Prof. <laughs> or, all right, Matt, I've got a confession to make. Um, congratulations, mate. Happy, happy 100th episode. <laughs> what, what is uh, that? Uh, well, I've been doing a bit of um, a bit of work behind the scenes in the last couple of weeks, and I've gone back through our back catalogue and uh, and basically gone through the archives, and I have uh, recorded uh, everything that we've done in a in an Excel spreadsheet, and um, this is our hundredth episode. I, I don't know how you miscounted, but I've gone back through and counted them all, and we've done ninety nine. I, I think I was just going because we we did sort of take a few hiatuses and. Um... Yeah, but everything, every individual, separate, unique episode that has been published and gone to air for download for our our valued listeners um, adds up to ninety nine. Okay, that that's not lost episodes. No, no, that'd be one hundred and eighty <laughs> if I included the lost episodes. Oh, there you go. Well, mate, happy hundredth anniversary! Congratulations! I don't, yeah. I don't know how we did that. So. <laughs> Well, I was just going through and I'm going, yeah, yeah, okay. And it was about um, uh, in the in the 40s or 50s, I think, and all of a sudden I've just gone back through the next one and I've you know, typed in, you know, next episode, you know, it's 53 and you've got it there as 47 or something like that. So it was, yeah, five. <laughs> it was a discrepancy of five all of a sudden. Well, that still wouldn't take us. So that would make this 90. So this is episode 93. Uh, according to our well, recent... That's what you reckon. Our, our more recent counting. No, no, no last, last week's okay, stomping last week ground was optic 93. Okay. was 93. So this would be 94, so this is 99. So next week is 100. No, no, this is this is 100. I'll send it to oh, you. Okay. Yeah. You can go back through. I've, I've gone through it three times just to make sure. I'll take your word for it. So uh, I did have some um, clandestine uh, communications with uh, with our editor, with our, um, our producer, uh, in order to slip in some... You know, dramatic music and then um, fireworks and party poppers and that sort of thing to announce that uh, it is actually our hundredth episode. Um, it's kind of fallen a bit flat now. If he's oh, going to be in Hawaii, yeah. So, oh well. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, speaking of, we, shout out to Lockie. And did you did you like your um, the music that we chose for you last week? Your theme tune. You got your theme tune. I was, I was actually expecting something a little bit more of a downer than that. Well, and that's why we said, no, you know what? We can't really do a bit of a downer. So maybe it's just, it's it's not that you're shit can and everything. It's just that you still haven't found what you're looking for. So it was it was like a, it was a positive spin. No, I found what I'm looking for. I just think there's a lot of shit that I wish <laughs> I didn't have to step over. <laughs> well... It's better than some of the options we had for you. Okay, anyway, fair enough. But no, <laughs> nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, well, you'll have to think up something this week. You can, you can make up your own theme tune. Yeah, well, we're going to have to... Write the theme tune, sing the, sing the theme tune. 
Okay, well, seeing you've sprung this on me, um, what are we going to do for... Sorry about that, mate. No, that's okay. But was this, so what are we going to do? We're going to sort of still do the... Well, we're going to make our, our 105th episode in, in the same way that, you know, uh, IPA is the new pale ale and, you know, 50 is the new 40 or whatever it is and, um, you know, charcoal's the new black. I think for Radio Brews News... We only celebrate every 105th. Okay, well, uh, yeah. Well, anyone can do 100. We, we, we've always been a little bit. Especially if you do it for six years. <laughs> yeah, we, we've always been a little bit uh, sort of... 13th, uh, of 13th of May, 2011. Off beat. Okay. Was our, was our first episode. Yeah, I knew, I knew that we'd... Uh, were back Way back then. I'm trying to work out. I was, I was looking at um, Even Ale of a Time, and you know, they only produce one a fortnight, and, I mean, they're up to 60-something, so they're snapping at our heels in a... In a yeah, session, sessionable are the same. Um, um, just trying to think. The um, our friends over at uh, Nebration Nation. Nebration Nation, yes. They're coming close as well, I think, to, to milestones. But um, certainly, no. It's fair to say that uh, nobody has taken nearly as long <laughs> to. But you know, so long like, that we, in fact, we actually lost count of uh, how many apps we've done. Well, how about we make this episode 103A? Um, and we'll have the next five will be 103 A, B, or 104 A, B, C, and D, and E, and then we go to 100. All right. So 99. This is 99 B. Yeah, 99 B. Okay, we'll do that. 99 B. And uh, so we can still have our hundredth episode um, when we're face to face in Brisbane. And I thought that worked out yeah. so nicely. Oh, it was it was so serendipitous that it couldn't. It was too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back and determined that yes, it was. And it wasn't true. So anyway, oh well, there we go. You've just ruined the magic. But uh, mate, how's your week been in terms? Of, I had a huge week of beer mail um, this week. I walked in with boxes of uh, beers to try. So we've had an unusual snap of cold in Brisbane. So the dark beers have been getting a bit of a, a, a tasting. What have you been trying this week, Prof? And I'm just sort of going through all of the media releases you can probably hear. Yes. Uh, yeah. Now there's been a lot of um, a lot of activity, which is really good. Uh, really good to see. Um, I've seen a few that I would love to try, um, including, and in particular, the, the Hawker's Imperial Stout, um, which I reckon is uh, will be an absolute cracker, and a few people have already got their hands on that. Yeah, and we don't get that in... Hawker's doesn't distribute in Brisbane. Um, not yet, no. Not yet, so I, I haven't seen that, so I think I need to travel for that one. But I did get the... I, I got a couple of beers from Red Hill yesterday, so... And a pre-release of their Imperial Stout, um, which actually launches. Oh, it actually has launched this week. So um, today's the 14th of June. It launched on the 10th of June. Um, and I tried their Scotch Ale, which is always a cracker. Um, so that was good. There we go. And the um, I, I did very much enjoy the Black IPA from um, uh, Four Pines from their Black Box. Yes, I, I, I put a hiatus on theirs because there were a few other dark beers I've been working through. Um, I did get the Hotchkiss 6 um, turn up this week. New Little Creatures. So the Domestic new stout iteration yeah, of the Return of the Dread as a now, as a seasonal? It, it is a new seasonal From the single release, batch yeah. series. I, to become a seasonal. I right? think the season, the single batch has now become seasonal. So it used to be single batch, and now they bring out a seasonal beer. So don't, let me see what the media release says. Uh, as the long summer days begin to fade, the brewers at Little Creatures have been busy putting the seal on their third seasonal release, the Hotchkiss 6. Um, is, a cheek, is a cheeky link back to one of the original single batch beers, the Dreadnought, named after the predominant type of battleship in the early 20th century. 
Uh, on the Dreadnought, there was a six-caliber gun called the Hotchkiss. There you go. So that's where the name comes from. Um, we wanted to show a lower ABV stout, so this comes in at 4.5%. And I'll tell you, Prof, you couldn't pick it. Um, you couldn't pick that it was it was a beautifully balanced, really nice. Uh, you know, guys who like a big stout probably are not going to rave about it, but it was like a a beautifully well made beer. Um, mm. uh, let me see. As as we have come to expect. Yeah. So it doesn't say what their intentions are, but we are speaking to Warren Pawsey next week, um, so we can ask him all about what their plans are for the limited release. We certainly can. Um, did you get anything from Vale Brewing this week, Prof? From where, sorry? Vale Brewing. From Vale, no. Yes. So they sent me a mixed six-pack of their Fox Hat series. We spoke to oh, nice. Jeff. Um, Jim must be... Jeff Wright. Jeff Wright yeah. about 12, 18 months ago when he announced... Do you want to know, do you want to know when exactly? Yes, please. Yes. Got to do a and he, he announced the Fox Hat range, and these are the first of the Fox Hats that I've tried. And we've got Lusty Lager, Metric IPA, and Fat, P-H-A-T, Mongrel. So we had the Lager, which is a 6% um, 48 IBU Lager. Um, a strong hoppy Lager fermented cool and clean and hopped with a heavy hand. Clean and fresh with vibrant hop characters of apricot, melon, and tropical fruit. So I tried that last night. I didn't get into the uh, Metric IPA or the Fat Mongrel. But, uh, yeah, and I was... It was a nicely balanced. It's everything that it said. Um, it had, you know, when you have the, um, uh, what's it called? The Napstein. Napstein, that's the one. You know how it, it, it's 5.6% uh, and you get that little bit more. Uh, just a bit of boof. Boof you know. that comes through that just lifts all of the flavors a little bit. It, the, the alcohol just lifts the flavors a little bit, but doesn't have any burn. So it had a little bit of that with the higher alcohol. And it was, yeah, it was a. Just a, a nicely balanced lager, very clean um, for, for the size. So I tried that. I've got the was, other two left. I was very, very impressed with their gold nail. I had at um, Ballarat Beer Festival earlier this year, um, which was an absolute cracker. Yeah. So I'd very well made gold nail. Haven't tried that one, but certainly their their beers are there about. And the other, actually, the other pack that I got this week was the Four Pines. Speaking of another, it's a big regional brewery. Four Pines sent out um, a pack the range. to coincide with their new amber amber ale. Uh, yeah, yeah, formerly known as the Amber Mosaic, and now the um, yeah, Amber Ale, which is included in the in their uh, to join the pale, the Kolsch, the Hefeweizen, the Stout, the ESB, and which one have I missed? And the uh, India Pale Lager, Indian Pale India yep, in the can. Yep, yeah, they're, they're summer, yeah. they're summer in the can, isn't? Yeah, yeah. So Indian uh, summer, yes, that's yeah. Yeah, and, and again, as you would expect from Four Pines, you know. They, as we talked about with their winter four-pack, um, they can certainly, you know, you know when the, the the brewers are given their head, they can come up with some you know, big and interesting beers and still find balance. But their their core range, mate, I, yeah, I find it very hard to, 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 to fault. And Andrew Twardell, who is in, who looks after the um, like the special projects kind of things at uh, out at Manly, um, who's responsible for putting a lot of those things into those designs into reality yeah it does a very good job so yeah so so that was my um, my week of beer mile um so thank you, thank you. and brewers always it's always encouraged please uh, uh, and episode episode 55 7th of april 2015 was uh, when we spoke to jeff wright god was it that long ago oh yeah. no there, well there, there you go we've, we've managed to do because we've been regular for the last 12 months so we've actually managed to knock off 
you know, it took us five years to get to 50, and then we've got to 50. We've know. just raced down the hill to 100, <laughs> uh, to, sorry, to 99B. Mate, yeah. Let's start doing two a week. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Um, <laughs> I don't think we'll do it. It's just not going to be the same without... Uh, if we're going to keep letting Lucky go on holidays and... Yeah. I'm getting used to it now. Yeah. Listening for all these all these little he has a lot of fun. Well, I didn't tell you that. And hopefully I, I hope for the listeners out there that it does make the we don't want to take the the seriousness out of um, Radio Brews News, but we also uh, don't want to take ourselves too seriously at the same time. I don't think we could ever. So I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, it no, no, don't no danger of that. Rant rants included. I don't think you could ever take us take that take us too seriously or think that we take no, ourselves too seriously. So anyway, mate, um, that's enough of the show intro. It's it, the news. That, yeah. Well, is, is there a prof um, gripe? Prof's pot shot? <laughs> no, no, I'm going to leave. No, because it, well, it won't have the um, it won't have the sound effects. So. Mate, I can do sound effects. I'll work one up. <laughs> no, 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 I'm working one up. Okay. I haven't got one ready because I thought it was going to be the 100th. I thought, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to shit can anything. I don't want to bring the episode down. Um, our 100th should be all about... Um, celebration, and then it turns out that um, we're, we're not going to talk about beer today. No, <laughs> our special guest. I'll tell you what. How's that? I'll tell you what. Does Radio Brews News? Do we do things differently here, or do we what? Um, let's talk about cider. Well, uh, did you <laughs> see? I, I posted an article, and I'll repost it, um, and I'll let you intro our guest this week in a in a tick. But I posted uh, a really good all about beer article on cider on the web page on the Facebook page about. It must have been about six or eight weeks ago, and we had so much hate in the comments. Um, you know, what the hell are you doing posting cider? This is meant to be a beer magazine. Um, don't know, don't know why. So it'll be interesting to see what the feedback is on uh, this um, uh, interview. But I'll, I'll repost that article because it is quite interesting. But Prof, tell us who we're speaking to today. Well, Matt, today we're speaking with the head of Cider Australia and also the one of the founders of Willie Smith's Organic Cider, Sam Reid. Sam Reid, welcome to Australian Brews News. Tell us, um, who is Sam Reid? Wow, that's a really deep question, isn't it? Um, we like I'm to start to off uh, big and then work our way back, mate. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Sam Reid, well, I'm... Uh... I'm, uh, you know, one of the founders and owners of uh, Willie Smith's Organic Cider uh, from Tasmania and um, also president of uh, Cider Australia. And uh, this is my third year for my sins that I will be doing that. So, uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Now, mate, the um, Australian... So tell us about Australian Cider. And uh, for those who don't know, because, look, regular listeners to the program will know that we do often, uh, I guess, poke fun at um, inverted commas, um, ciders or a lot of products in the Australian market that, that I guess purport to be cider. Um, or as Ben Krause likes to call them, fizzy apple goon. Fizzy apple goon, yeah. That could be uh, fag if you uh, go the acronym, so yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, no, we can't go there. Just hang on. Just All right. No, no, I'm time, just... Timing is everything. Yeah. yeah, tell us about cider in Australia and um, uh, where we're at and where we perhaps should be and how we go about getting there. Yeah, sure. Um, where we are at in, in Australian cider at the moment is uh, is that the market has pretty much doubled or probably a bit more now in the last probably five, seven years. Uh, it really came about, you know, before that, you know, it tracked along at about 1.5% of, uh, of all alcohol being consumed in Australia for a long, long time, um, really dominated, I guess, by uh, by Strongbow, 
um, and they just were pretty happy collecting their uh, royalty for for the market, I guess, and uh, and just not doing a whole lot with with the market or in the market. Um, I guess the big change there was probably when um, the RTD tax was introduced, the premix tax, which uh, was a good thing really. And as more and more focus becomes on sugar, I think we'll see more and more uh, taxes like on products like that. Um, but yeah, what, what, that probably kicked it off. And then you heard they had this wonderful Swedish brand come into the marketplace and take advantage of that. Um, you know, I like to call them the uh, vodka cruiser in Ikea, um, in Ikea clothing, um, in an Ikea bottle, because uh, they offered what essentially what there was still being, uh, you know, the same, a similar liquid to uh, what the kind of vodka cruisers and premix uh, drinks were, were talking about and doing. But then... Um, then they really, um, you know, made it look like a more uh, mature choice, I guess, with their, uh, you know, smart packaging and, and clever labelling and, and lack of fluorescent colours in the bottle, I suppose. So that really started the interest and growth inside it. They did a fantastic job actually recruiting a lot of people into the category and they probably started set the category off into growth. Um, it would have been around 2008, 2009, and I think they really exploded onto the market really after a few years of... Um, of uh, uh, effort, uh, you know, probably about like, 2012, 13, something like that. Um, yeah, so that that was kind of where the first stage of evolution. Um, and I guess the next stage we've seen is very much the um, larger format um, purchases or sales uh, of, of cider when you've had uh, another brand coming to the marketplace um, called Summersby, um, which is purportedly from... Um, from the well, Lord Summersby makes, yeah, Lord Summersby makes all of it. I've seen the ads. Oh, okay. No, I think it's picks, picks the apples from the tree, and yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, he's a very busy man, Lord Summersby. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so so that's come into the market. Um, it's owned by uh, Asahi Beverages, and um, and well, the brand is owned here by Asahi Beverages, and. Um, uh, which many of your uh, listeners might know as the owners and purchasers of Mountain Goat, I suppose, and Cricketers Arms. Um, and so they uh, really, probably two years ago, came into the market really from nowhere and, uh, and promoted it very, very hard with their 10-pack formats in cans for 20 bucks. Very, very good, sharp pricing. Um, continued to drive a lot of volume, I guess, in the market and recruitment into the market, um, but it really started to take the... Um, take margin out of the market, I suppose. So, um, you know, previously retailers were very excited about the category given the, uh, the good margins they were making, probably somewhat similar to, uh, to craft beer. Uh, and, and then, you know, now Summersby is an undisputed number one package cider in Australia um, you know, with that sharp pricing. And uh, unfortunately, some of the value has probably been taken out of the marketplace and, and retailers have probably started to look for a, a new alternative, another solution another driver for the category um, if they're going to continue to uh, get behind it and support it. Sam, you've just taken us through some of the big names in cider. Um, and could you tell us a little bit about those products? And I, I guess the background of this question is, um, you know, we've noticed one of the things that is driven craft beer isn't just about beer itself and it's not just about the flavour, but it's about feeling more connected to small um, locally based breweries and it's that have got a story and that there is a craft element that is seen as being a little bit different to the more industrialized beers that was the perception that went before. Um, 
and a lot of the ciders you've talked about, uh, you know, um, like five seeds or some of those, the, the advertising is normally roadside banners where you see a bunch of young people walking down, um, you know, apple orchards and they've got messages like handpicked by hand. Are those products truly representing what they are in terms of being, you know, naturally based products? Um, well, they're, from my understanding, they're certainly Apple derived. Um, I think, uh, and I think that's really one of the been one of the reasons why people have decided to come into the cider category as well for that um, perceived, uh, you know, naturalness and health um, benefits that uh, that Apple based drinks can provide. And and I think uh, fair to say, you know, the majority of those drinks would be Apple based. Um, you know, the challenge, or, or I suppose what's unclear. Um, in the advertising and, and understandably so is where those apples would uh, would be coming from or the uh, you know the the apples that go into those uh, beverages come from um, you know as inside Australia we estimate around about 80% of the market is um, is made from uh, imported concentrate uh, and the majority of that is coming from a- apple concentrate obviously and the majority of that's coming from um, from China uh, and so, you know, that's really how these big, uh, big brands manage to compete in the marketplace. Uh, you know, they, they're making ciders for, you know, the equivalent of about 20, we think around about 23 cents per litre um, when, uh, when you, know, you know, guys who are using Australian grown and picked and crushed apples uh, are probably coming in more around the, uh, somewhere between the dollar to dollar 50 mark per litre. So it does make it harder for the guys using um, you know, producers using Australian apples to uh, to compete on a you know on a cost basis I guess so that's where you start to hear hear about the stories of uh, of, of you know Australian ciders that are using Australian apples and uh, you know and growing in Australia and, and employing um, Australians um, or in many cases uh, backpackers who are visiting Australia for a while but still being paid Australian wages obviously um, but you know the crushing and the fermenting, all done here in Australia by you know Australian wages, Australian labour, um, and so yeah, that's that's I suppose the need that Australian producers have, uh, or Australian producers who are using Australian grown fruit, need to start to differentiate themselves and, and tell I suppose what you'd call a, a quality story in the same way that craft producers do that in Australia as well. But when you're talking about uh, you know sort of imported concentrate cider. What does that mean? You know, um, the, the apples are picked, they're crushed, there is juice. Um, my understanding is that it's then pasteurised and reduced. Essentially, the water's taken out of to reduce the volume. Um, and what, what does that do to the, to, the, to the juice? What does that do to the flavour when it then ends up being made into cider here? Um, technically, I really probably... Uh, a bit, I'm not the best person to, uh, to talk to about that. But what, what it does do is... Um, is uh, yeah, reduces the the apple um, apple base down to about um, I suppose one eighth or one twelfth um, of it. Um, you basically just boil it all off, um, and you're left with this really syrupy concentrate. Makes it a lot easier to uh, to transport and cheaper to transport, of course. And then when you do um, bring it into the country and, and reconstitute it, then you're adding um, you know water and sugar to uh, to get it back to you know, juice, I suppose. Um, and so, you know, Cider Australia, we've been lobbying very hard 
to uh, get cider included in the uh, new labelling laws that were um, recently brought in by the federal government. Uh, interestingly enough, um, you know, juice has been included in these new labelling laws, which you know you have to state where the ingredients come from and what percentage of the ingredients come, um, done made in Australia. Um, and apple cider vinegar, which is actually on the other side of uh, cider, is included. But cider has been kind of like alcohol, actually, has been carved out for uh, the need to to um, say where the ingredients come from, which is really disappointing, actually, for us and a bit of a blow to our members. Um, and then I suppose what we get is a bit of a double kick in the teeth when they come along and uh, and then, you know, in the, this latest budget, reduce the uh, wet rebate by, you know, 150000 so far, and, and they're looking to continue to, to reduce that over time. So it felt like a bit you're not of a... Gonna... <laughs> I don't think you're going to get too many uh, people listening to this podcast uh, playing their violins for, for the cider guys when they've got their own campaigns um, for, to, to get excise relief as well. But it, it certainly does raise the point that um, you know, excise for small producers is a very different issue um, than excise for, for the large producers. Yeah, look, and I, and I take your point there, Matt. It's very fair, but the challenge, I guess, cider has a very different dynamic to craft beer, where we are trying to compete against um, essentially no floor price because of these uh, imported concentrate. I don't think you see the same dynamics in uh, in in beer, to my knowledge. Certainly, obviously, the larger brewers have much bigger brewing capacity uh, and can do it more cheaply, and, and probably aren't using necessarily fresh hops or uh, or all the, you know, potentially greatest ingredients they could use in a lot of the beers. Um, but I don't think it, it creates a, you know, dynamic where the pricing differential between the two liquids is, that, is as significant as it is in, in cider, which means to me that we do need the uh, rebate to compete against, um, to compete against, you know, the the 80% of the market, so to say. Sam, where to in the next five years or so? Are we finding that the Australian consumer in the same way that craft beer has given them more information, uh, more knowledge, uh, and therefore more power when it comes to their buying decisions uh, in, in beer. Are we finding the same thing in um, insider that, that people are, I guess, taste are maturing? Yeah, I'd definitely say that's the case. Um, and I think it's just a natural phenomenon along, uh, you know, as with any category, as it evolves and develops. I definitely can like comparing it to, I guess, the uh, white wine category. You think about the uh, early 80s, people were probably on the Moselles. Um, you know, we've very much been in the kind of early 80s of cider with the kind of sweet, sweeter styles coming through, um, more simple styles, I suppose. Uh, we've started seeing people move towards the drier styles of cider. And really it's about, you know, uh, producers in Australia offering people these alternatives. And I think, um, you know, Probably five years ago, we would have said most Australian ciders made from Australian, Australian independent ciders made from Australian fruit were fairly similar. Uh, I think in the last couple of years in particular, we've started to see, a, starting to see a bit of diversity in the marketplace in the same way of styles and of flavours, in the same way, you know, we probably saw in craft beer, you know, five to seven years, or seven, five to seven years ago, I suppose. So, um, it, it's about having the products. Um, they're certainly starting to become the appetite out there to um, to try different styles, and uh, and then you know we hope we can um, continue to deliver and, and develop a 
you know, mature, sustainable category in the same way, an interesting category, I think, in the same way craft beer is delivering. Just, just going back to the question of uh, the, the the big guys. What I mean, what can be done, and it, it is something that um, small brewers in Australia struggle with, as we increasingly see, you know, uh, breweries um, owned by the likes of Coca Cola or Asahi or uh, you know, just international brewing concerns. Um, who are aware of the move away from people's move away from large and they want to feel small and more connected, that they are starting to create these side brands that, you know, for the time at least are able to um, perhaps deceive people into thinking that it's a, you know, a, a smaller local brand um, and getting them feeling positive, positively towards the, um, you know, the, the, the beers that they're making now. What can small cider um Producers and by implication, small brewers do to really carve out a you know a, a defining or a differential uh, brand for themselves. Yeah, what we're trying to do and what we hope to be able to achieve, or and what we've done, I suppose, inside Australia is define Australia this idea of Australian craft cider. So we've just had our AGM recently, and uh, and we've there decided that we were going to declare that 2016. Slash 17 was going to be the year of uh, craft cider that it started to come to the fore. Uh, and we were going to unashamedly um, talk about um, craft cider and talk about our, our, our processes and, and our ingredients and really get out there um, on the front foot there. We, we've defined Australian craft cider, that is Cider Australia has designed, defined Australian craft cider as made with 100% uh, Australian apples. Um, we are working with APAL, uh, which is a part of Horticulture Innovation Australia. So that's Apple and Pear Australia. Uh, you might have seen the Made with Aussie Apples or the Aussie Apples logo around the place. We're going to work with them on a licensing agreement to, um, to, so that our, our members can actually license that logo and put that on their packaging. Um, so we'll be on front of pack there and, and, you know, so we don't have to worry about the back of pack there. Um, and so there's initiatives like that. We're looking to obviously try and get segmentation happening in store with uh, some of the customers so that we can have an Australian craft cider section as well. Um, and, and remembering that's using 100% Australian um, grown fruit. That's a good starting point. Um, but it doesn't then leave, it doesn't solve the problem if you see some of the, uh, I suppose, larger producers uh, making uh, ciders from 100% Australian fruit, which some of them already do, actually. So there will be that same challenge then um, that that some of the larger producers will be in that ca- in that category. Um, for me, that's fine. I mean, it's supporting Australian growers. It's it's producing a better quality product, um, in in our view, from Cider Australia. Uh, and and you know keeping jobs in Australia and in regional Australia in particular, it's something um, you know I'm particularly passionate about, um, both from a Willie Smith's perspective and Cider Australia perspective. Um, you know it's becoming harder and harder for young people in around Australia and, and in regional Australia to to stay in regional areas. We're seeing always a, a huge gravitation towards uh, cities just because lack of um, opportunities. Um, and and you know in Tasmania. I've, I've, where I grew up, um, we, saw, we saw almost everybody leave Tasmania for, for lack of opportunities. And so the more we can do to build sustainable um, regional agricultural opportunities, um, the better it is, I think, for for uh, Australia all around, and, and including our culture, I suppose, because I feel 
that the best way to, to understand a country's culture is to get out to the regions of the countryside and, um, and, and meet the people there because that's what makes up the social fabric and backbone of, of the society that you live in, I feel. And I, I think this is one of those great examples of if you ask people what matters to them and whether they believe in supporting the regions, for example, and they believe in um, you know, shopping local, they would, in response to the question, they would say yes, but their behaviour doesn't always track the same way. Um, and if it you know, involves uh, some time to research a purchasing decision um, when they're just at the shops and they just want a bottle of cider, um, they're more likely to re recall the one that has the big billboard um, and buy that than the, the one that's you know made from local apples because of the effort involved in uh, or, or even the price differential in it. How do you overcome that and how do you get people to take that purchasing desire and make it a purchasing action? Uh, well, I, I, I'm hoping this, uh, you know, putting the logo in front of pack will, will, and, and clearer segmentation in store will, will drive a lot of that behaviour. I mean, we're really coming from a zero base where there's just literally no information on pack or anywhere to say where the uh, ingredients of the apples come from, with the exception, I suppose, of, of some people who put made with 100% Australian apples on there. But the consumers haven't even really been, or drinkers haven't even been really trained or, or educated to look for that at this stage. So... So I guess we're hoping that um, that makes quite a big difference and, and, and then with us educating people and hopefully working with um, the likes of APAL and Horticulture Innovation Australia, starting to do some uh, some larger marketing idea, um, campaigns around that, that idea, I suppose, too. Um, you know, other than that, it's, um, it's just a, it's an education process that I suppose many of your listeners uh, you know, do regularly. I mean, it's all of our members out at festivals to, and talking to people about why that cider tastes different to another cider and what apples have gone into that one and uh, what the benefits of using, um, you know, Australian apples are. Um, I mean, and that's that's what we've got to hope. Uh, we did do, you know, at our cider festival last year, we did do some um, some quick one-on-one -on -one interviews with people um, and, and a lot of people who came to the festival, which you'd assume would be really, um, you know, interested in the category, and they were, um, a lot of people hadn't even contemplated thinking that the ciders they were drinking didn't come from Australian apples. Um, they just assumed that was naturally the case. So, so if we can start to get some education out there from a zero base, basically, I, I, we think, you know, it should be a, a good starting point for our members to, uh, to start to tell their stories a bit more clearly as well. One of the comments I've heard from some of the traditional cider countries is that, you know, Australia has a is a table apple industry. So our ciders tend to be made from table apples because we've never really um, invested or had a reason to grow cider apples. Um, and so if people want to try some of the more traditional styles, then they go to the uh, French or the Spanish or the English uh, ciders to, to really get a sample of that. If... if how do you uh, you address that issue where um, you know some great ciders come from overseas, um, and then if you're going to make purchasing choices based on flavour, why not make it on price? Um, if if people are quite happy to buy just a, a cheaper cider and not really care about um, where the, the the source of the apples is from. 
Yeah, well, a very good question, and um, and I'd and I'd, in response, I'd say there are there are quite a few ciders in Australia that are using um, traditional cider apples. Um, you know, Red Sales around the corner from us in in Tasmania. Um, Clive's been using has his own orchard in his backyard and been making really interesting and fantastic ciders for forty years and heading over to France regularly and learning learning their techniques and not only making French style ciders but um, but English style as well. Um, so so that those exist, but they are at such a small micro level that it's very hard for people to uh, to, to regularly get hold of them. Um, I guess the challenge is to um, prove the case that there is enough interest out there for people to plant and graft um, over these cider apples varieties. And certainly, I know you know the many members of Cider Tasmania, and uh, you know many of our uh, fellow producers in Tasmania are have already grafted over you know years ago um, cider apples, but recognising that cider is is similar to uh, wine in the fact that you need to plant apples um, five years before you're actually going to start harvesting them, or graft them three years before you're going to start harvesting them. Um, you know where it's going to be a bit of a slower burn, but um, certainly, you know, last year we, so Willie Smiths won the best cider in Australia at the Australian Cider Awards, including against um, international ciders, uh, because that was that was our first ever cider we released with 100% um, you know cider apples in it. So 18 different varieties of French and English um, cider apples. Um, we only managed to do about 750 bottles of it, but um, you know we should start to see that number grow exponentially in the years to come as the trees mature. Um, so, so it's coming. Um, I guess we have to. No one's proved the case yet that it can be done, that it can be grown. You can actually make any money out of it. So it's been, you know, more of a passion project for many people. Um, but as as the interest in the category grows, and uh, you know, then I think you'll start to see more and more of that out there. Sam, as um, we've we've yeah. spoken about, you know, the, some of the challenges. We've spoken a bit about the uh, the history of of, um, of cider in this country. If we can talk for a little bit about the actual cider itself, my understanding is that um, most of the producers in Australia will uh, ferment uh, apple juice with uh, a, either a like a, a, a champagne or a, a French uh, sort of a cider or champagne um, or wine based, if you like, yeast which then obviously brings it out to a reasonably high alcohol product at the end with a fairly dry finish, to which then fresh juice is or, you know, back-sweetened, if you like, to, um, to sort of bring it down to the right ABV and also to make it not so dry. Is that a reasonably sort of common practice? And the reason I ask is that I was speaking to Richard Watkins from Bentspoke, who brews his with a brewer's ale yeast, um, and the main reason he says he likes to do it that way is that he doesn't then need to um, back sweeten, and he just finds it's it's just a, a I guess a just a, a simpler process and a in his eyes a better product. Yeah, well, I think everyone's making uh, what they think to be the best product. I'd, I'd hope that's the case, definitely. Um, and so, and it's, and it really is up to people's different tastes, which is you know I think starting to become the exciting thing inside a is that you can have different styles and different production methodologies. What you say is a pretty standard process, I guess, um, but there are other processes such as reverse osmosis that some of the bigger wine producers that make cider can use where they can take alcohol in or put it back or take alcohol out of it 
that way as well, so they don't necessarily need to back sweeten. Or I guess you can uh, stop fermentation, um, you know, when it gets to the right uh, level through, uh, I guess, pasteurising it or, or just filtering it and making sure there's no more yeast left in there. So, so there's definitely lots of different styles uh, out there. To be honest, I couldn't tell you which one is the most uh, most popular though. Um, I would imagine it's yeah probably a combination of, of all three of those. So. And presumably, is that just the, the way you know? Because if you like apple juice in the same way that grape juice becomes wine because it's a, a, a fruit based rather than grain based that um, that that style of yeast has always been used. In, in which case, it means that I guess there's um, a lot of uh, room for development and, and new products to come out onto the market in years to come. Oh, very much so. I completely agree. What what a yeast can that, and so what you're saying is correct. I'd say mostly uh, people are using kind of wine yeast. That's the the wine industry in Australia that uh that you know that we're probably most similar to in in the production methodology and probably share many of the same suppliers. Um, and so so yeah, I think it has been uh, very wine based. But I mean, the difference that a yeast can make uh, is is absolutely incredible. I know. Um, you know, this year at, at Gabs, we we're really fortunate that the guys um, had been over to the, the states. Um, you know, Steve spent some spent a lot of time over there actually researching craft beer and, and cider, and they decided to um, to make um, a wall of cider with ten cider producers on there this year at Gabs, with so we could have you know so punters could come in and try different tastes and styles of cider in the same way that they've been able to do with beers for for many many years. Uh, so, for instance, Rich at um, Batlow used a saison yeast to uh, to make his cider, um, and, and you know we went more of a wild yeast ferment just to let the, let the natural yeast in the orchard do its thing, um, including um, you know 50% of that to be uh, cider apples in there. We called that the Pommy Sundowner, um, and and just the huge difference that uh, just a tiny micro such as a yeast can make is is really interesting and and really exciting. I think for for years ahead like you say yeah and without wanting to blow sunshine up your skirt but one of the best ciders i've had this year was the um the willie smith's uh the wild um cider uh down at the apple shed which we will probably allow you to throw in a little bit of a, a plug for before we finish um but yeah that just being able to experience that that funk and that i guess a a realness um it just sort of took me out of my absolutely um i think we've lost you again but um yeah, I think we can never really say what the wild ferment's going to come out like, unfortunately, because it's wild. Uh, we're hoping that in years to come that we start to get a kind of consistent wild yeast come through that we can replicate and reuse. Uh, once we do that, um, you know, I'm looking forward to bottling it and letting more people uh, taste it and explore the, the wild fermented styles because um, they're certainly interesting and certainly funky and very much in line with, I think, where the craft beer category is is headed to as well. well one of the things that pete and i've talked about a lot on radio brews news is the you know the ex experimentalism that goes on where you have seen a lot of uh cider makers you know have a lot of uh fun you know adding hops just to cider you've been barrel aging um there's been a whole range of interesting progressions from the from the from the traditional cider I guess there are two questions. How important is that to creating interest and awareness uh, for cider in the country? And secondly, is there a point that it can go too far and it starts becoming counterproductive that the experimentalism becomes distracting from, from the core product? Yeah, uh, really good question, I think. Um, you know, we've actually 
actively um, included an experimental category in the CIDR Awards for the previous two years, actually, and doing it again this year because we do want to encourage people to experiment. Um, we do think that that is a great way to create, um, you know, interest and excitement in the category. I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, that the category grows because of, you know, people doing interesting things within it that, uh, that get talkability about it and, and get people sharing their experiences um, versus, you know, just, you know, for instance, big advertising, for instance. So, uh, and that'll grow the category kind of credibly as well. Um, we're a long way from... Um, from too much innovation in the cider category at this stage because people have been, uh, we are quite hemmed in by the definition of the uh, the wet, um, which is very focused on um, you know just fermenting apples um, or pears, uh, and so you know anything too serious or crazy with that doesn't use different yeasts, you know that, that you, goes beyond using different yeasts and different styles of apples, um, you start to get pick up a much higher tax rate there with the, the premix tax coming in. So it's about us, I suppose, being really clever. It's about us trying more apples varieties, um, which many of our members are doing, um, including many cider apple varieties. And and as Pete alluded to before, a lot of uh, lot of different yeasts. But I mean, certainly we've done the, the barrel aging with, uh, with port barrel aging before. We've done um, two versions of our Lark whiskey barrel aged as well. Um, I certainly don't think that's too far. There's a huge demand out there for it. It's just bloody expensive to do. So um, you don't really, you can't really afford to do too much of it, unfortunately. But it's fun, and uh, you know, as long as we're having fun, I think that's um, that's the most important thing because it comes through in your products and it comes through in the way you talk about your products too. I think. Well, Ed, I guess while we've got you on the line, we've talked a lot about the industry, but tell us a little bit about your own business, because uh, you're a fifth-generation Apple Yeah, well, I'm actually not. Uh, my business partner, Andrew Smith, is a fifth-generation Apple Sorry. grower. Yep. Um, fourth generation, actually. His son, William, is the fifth generation. Um, it's actually uh, named Willie Smith after Andrew's uh, great-grandfather, William Smith, who was the first Smith to start farming down in the Huon Valley um, back in the 1800s. Uh, and the Smith family have been farming continuously there since uh, since Willie took over. Um, you know, Andrew took over the uh, orchard um, probably around about 20-odd years ago uh, and in 1999 um, decided to start trying to uh, convert the orchard to organics. So um, he travelled around the, uh, the world um, saw some of the best practice going on in uh, the UK, or I mean, in Europe and uh, the US, and just thought that's the way of the future. Um, and with, you know, young children running around the farm, thought that, you know, if he could remove as many chemicals from the farm as he could, that would obviously be better for his family as well. So he tried, he convinced his father, uh, Ian Smith, uh, to give him a bit of a plot. Um, Ian's very good at working hard and done an amazing job keeping the farm going but he's a he's a hard man to convince to do something new and different um so he gave him a but to his credit gave andrew a plot of the you know block at the orchard to prove himself and um and by 2001 um smithy had converted the orchard to uh, you know 100 percent uh organic apples so um and so now um the orchard is the largest organic apple producer in australia and we're really lucky to be in Tasmania, in the Huon Valley, because uh, it's a great place for growing apples and it's a fantastic place for growing organic apples. 
because uh, one of the reasons for that is um, the, the apples, the trees go properly dormant during winter. I mean, it's freezing cold now and uh, there's snow on the mountains. Um, the trees literally do die off during uh, during winter, uh, which also means all the uh, sap, you know, you know, gets super hard and solid and dies and all the bugs sitting in the trees die off as well. So re- each year you're kind of really the bug. You're starting a new but also you're starting anew with any kind of pests and diseases that may have been in the trees because they've kind of been wiped out during the winter. Um, so it's a lot, it makes it a lot easier, I suppose, or, or makes it possible to be, you know, organic in weather conditions like that. Uh, we've got our own festival coming up, the Huon Valley Midwinter Festival on the 15th to the 17th of July. Uh, you know, it's a, we, we uh, get the Morris dancers. We've got 60 Morris dancers from all over Australia coming down this year, the largest number yet. And, uh, you know, we have a Burning Man on the Friday night. And, but the main event is really the Wassail on the Saturday night, which is an ancient custom I picked up when I was over in the UK traveling around. Uh, and uh, it's really to uh, Wassail the apple trees, which means you're, you're scaring away the evil spirits um, and, uh, and waking up the dormant apple trees. You know, it's a pagan tradition that they that that had been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I thought we could bring a bit of that back to the Huon Valley and back to Tasmania um, and just have a lot of fun in, in winter, I suppose. So it's a lot of hot spice cider. It's a lot of uh, dancing, a lot of folk music, great Tasmanian food, obviously, uh, and plenty of Tasmanian beverages to go around as well. So, so it's a good time if anyone's, you know, thinking about coming down to Tassie and experiencing some proper cold, get on board. Sam, just to bring the conversation back to what we were talking about, about supporting local and keeping industry uh, you know, in, in the regions. Uh, I've heard stories recently that the you know, there's been a lot of interest and a lot of news coverage um, about Tasmania and how you know, after years of governments trying big projects, it is the hundreds of little producers and little projects like Willie Smith Cider and like the small breweries that have actually been Tasmania's success story? Yeah, I, I don't haven't seen any data, but I'd say it's definitely the case. It's kind of a micro-led recovery. Um, you know, I suppose the first guy... I mean, Bill Lark's been making amazing whiskey for, uh, for you know, over 30 years down there. Um, and in the last five years, the, uh, the kind of the spotlight because of Mona. Um, so let's pr- not forget that big museum uh, that David Walsh built um, for around about half a billion dollars uh, in Hobart, you know, in 2012 or 2011, um, that's put the spotlight on Tasmania and then really show, and I suppose what that did was show Tasmanians how to represent um, their, themselves and their products in a really um, top-class way. There's no doubt there's always been fantastic products and projects in Tasmania. Probably the story wasn't told as clearly um, and as well. Um, and some of the branding, I suppose, has been was fairly shoddy and average as well. So you do need good branding to get your products picked up and, and understood. Uh, and, and once people started to understand how to kind of brand and portray themselves, it uh, really you know, started to, to get people down there for a weekend and then people would stay for a bit longer and find out they love Tasmania and, the, and I guess the friendliness of the people that are down in, in Tasmania and, uh, and the amazing local produce. And that's really just fed itself now. Um, it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I think when we started Willie Smith's, I, uh, I talked about an apple-led recovery for the Huon Valley, tongue-in-cheek, but um, 
but it certainly seems to be we're starting to see apple trees replanted now in the Huon Valley. It's it, you know we're we're making cider from the apples. Uh, we've started make, selling our own um, you know organic apple cider vinegar, and we've recently installed a still as well to start distilling our cider to make apple brandy. So so that that's certainly part of it. We've got Matthew Evans, a gourmet farmer down the road as well, who's also helped shine a spotlight on on Tasmania and uh, the many many local producers. You know, and our festival, we're going to have 25 to 30 um, local um, producers at the festival selling, you know, wine, beer, whiskey, food, uh, you know, and it, and we've got a, you know, we're trying to, and everyone's using local produce for all of that. So so that's in the middle of winter um, and uh, and it's just a really nice, healthy boost for, for the local economy at that time. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in it. I, I now feel that Tasmania can be kind of, the Tuscany of Australia. Um, we're starting to get a bit of momentum uh, in all the incredible distilleries that are that are there, and so many new ones are opening up in the great ciders, in the great wines, the great whiskies. Um, you know, I think it's probably one of the very few places where, in one day, you can visit a distillery, a cidery, a brewery, a winery um, in in a morning before lunch. Uh, and so, we're really lucky to have that focus going on and um and really lucky to have the spotlight shone on us um from the kind of global tourism industry even now so beautiful well sam we um we certainly wish you luck um with your apple-led recovery and uh, and putting tasmania on the map in the same way that uh that tuscany is on the map um so and on that note uh sam reed thanks very much for joining us on radio brews news no worries guys thanks very much for the opportunity to talk all things apple and cider and we'll see if we can uh, get down to the Midwinter Festival. Love to have you down there. Let me know. Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm actually working on it. Carol said, well, why don't you just go? I thought, oh, okay then. Yeah, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I just might. Um, but it's the, it's the mate. couple of days before the, um, the Craft Brewers Conference. So in that same week, I might I might not be able to get enough brownie points to do two events in the same week. But we'll see how we go. It's definitely, it's definitely work, mate. It's definitely work. Yeah. Oh, it is work. Yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine <laughs> on my tax form saying, yeah, I was... Um, were sailing with a gut full of apple schnapps <laughs> around an orchard with Sam Reed, but it was work. Definitely will work. Absolutely. There'll be some, there'll be some Mate, I need there. to speak to your tax accountant then. Because <laughs> I can hear mine shaking right, his head. No worries, here. guys. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks very, much, very Sam. much, Sam. Catch you Cheers, later on. Mate. Cheers. There you go, Matt. That was Sam Reed. Um, and look, can highly recommend the, the Midwinter Festival I've heard very, very good reports about. And what I was going to say, it, doesn't it show the, um, I guess, the diversity of our, of the, the craft or the artisan sort of industry that, uh, or community that MoFo, Dark MoFo, which is on um, this, as, we, as we're recording, has just, just wound up um, and, and sort of it's, it's marquee signing. It's all about religion and dark and death and sex and, you know, all that brooding kind of, you know, dark cloud kind of thing. And um, the Huon Valley uh, Midwinterfest kind of uh, showcases. We're going to have the biggest collection of Morris dancers ever. <laughs> I did. I, I did. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's, your, that's your headline um, act versus, you know, uh, yeah, the dark mofo kind of thing, which I think it just, it just says a lot about the, the diversity of the um, of the community and, and just how special Tassie is. And and I, I, I think, yeah, Sam hit the nail on the head when he sort of said that, that they've been hiding their light under a bushel 
for too long. I, the the branding, the the pushing of Tassie as as something really special that we're very lucky to have literally on our doorstep um, is a bit of a shame, and uh, hopefully will be redressed. And, and I do have to say that it was Willie Smith cider that actually generated any interest for me in cider. I, I you know subscribe to you know Ben Krause's comments that it's fizzy yellow goon, um, and a lot of it. I, I, one of the things that we've talked about in the past, Prof, is you know what alcohol is in in, in, a, in a troll in society, and I hate to see it, um, you know, I, I hate to see it demonised, um, even though it can be a demon sometimes, because it is something that can give a lot of people, you know, in where when used appropriately, a great deal of pleasure. Um, and one of the things that I've always sort of thought about is that the natural processes that create alcohol also create flavour and there is a natural balance that comes from making things um, that have flavour as well as alcohol that almost has a self-regulatory balancing out um, uh, you know, aspect. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and it's good. just when we try to mask the alcohol with lots of you know, sugar and you know, um, Sweden's famous you know, native fruit, yeah. kiwi fruit, if you believe you know, that sort of packaging... <laughs> Um, to, to make it not taste alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and it's hiding the, the, the flavour and it just becomes a mechanism to get... You know, to, 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 yeah. to, to create a condition yeah. as opposed to something that you actually enjoy for its other qualities, which include flavour. And so cider was very much in that category where you know a, a lot of the alcohol was hidden and it was just essentially apple ties with a shot of alcohol. Um, and Sam's um, ciders, or the, the, the ciders that Willie Smiths were making, actually showed that there was a real nuance and a real complexity. And, you know, you, you had to, it wasn't just about consuming alcohol. So, uh, yeah, so I, look, I, that's very much changed my view about what cider is. And it was then that I started drinking some of the um, French ciders and the Spanish ciders and uh, yeah. became quite yeah. fascinated with the culture and the heritage and the history around them. Um, which is one of the things that made me fall in love with beer, apart from its flavour as well. So yeah, no, it was it was great to have uh, Sam on, and he is um, one of the great characters and one of the great passions of the um, very, you know, Australian much. drinks industry. So it, yeah, he's, so, no, he's more than welcome in the uh, in the craft beer world. And I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time with Jimmy Anderson, who uh, who is the cider maker down at Willis Smith and, and a former um, brewer. Uh, and again, just one of the most passionate um, art, artisan sort of types um and to to be able to do some um sessions with him at uh, at gab's about cider uh really opened my eyes to you know what's possible uh so it'll be interesting to see how it goes in the in the next in the next couple of years yeah so uh okay well mate that, that was the interview great interview as we um hinted at uh whilst we've been uh, interviewing Sam, we've got confirmation that Warren Pawsey, he's uh, accepted my, in, he got in touch with you. He asked for us, our people to get in touch with his people. So I sent him a calendar invite and he's locked in for next Tuesday. So we'll get to speak to him. Um, I, I guess we'll be able to find out a little bit about what's happening down at Little Creatures in Geelong, but also talking about, you know, uh, medals and judging and style and all the things that go with, uh, you know, the, the, the post end of um, the Australian International Beer Awards yeah. where he was the head judge. Very much so. That's great. So uh, now, Prof, cards and letters. Insert music here. That's just in case mate, you don't uh, find any music. Oh, mate, I'll find some music. Trust me. you got to find Trust something. Like, yeah, you can't just reboot <laughs> something that Lockie's used. I won't. No, no. I've, I've got this. Don't worry. All right. 
have to listen to this whole episode because I i'm just I, i'm with and my with a with a very tightly puckered sphincter because i'm just getting flashbacks to oh yeah back when we, yeah, we're going to be regular and all that sort of thing and then you know and then it, then the, the episodes would just disappear okay so there's so there's pots uh, pete's pot shot <laughs> Prost, pot, pot shot, shot. <laughs> uh, and well actually if you're going to have a pot shot before we get to cards and letters um having some music i'm, I'm actually not going to have my own it's not going to be Matt shit can. Um, I'm not going to open up the shit can. Um, this is actually Weinstefan. Um, I'm heading off to Oktoberfest this year in uh, September, and I'm vis- I've arranged to visit the Weinstefan Brewery, and I'm just checking out their Twitter feed. And uh, they had this nice zinger on February the 17th, which was actually their last tweet, so they're not quite prolific. Um, but they said, if it's still happening, please tell your bartender to not put a slice of citron or orange into our Hefeweiss beer. The beer doesn't want it. So that was a nice little sh- shit can. Yeah, so, Weinstein pot shot. Although that said, I've also had a lot of uh, you know, German uh, nationals tell me that, you know, granny always puts a slice of lemon in or, and it is something that is uh, perfectly acceptable. Um, well, that's how Radler so. started, wasn't it? Either a bit of well, they lemon cordial, you know, for the cyclists heading up the Alps. Exactly. Yeah, well, the shandies we call it in Australia, which yeah. is just you know, before we had mid-strength beer, it was a way of making your beer mid-strength. Yeah. And incidentally, adding a little bit of sugar to it. Yeah. So, uh, I think that completely shot down my argument earlier about. Anyway, we should say, um, in, uh, can I send a card and a letter to um, a good friend of the program, Professor Charlie Bamford, who uh, had his birthday uh, the week. Just before you're listening to this, I was, so happy I, I birthday! Was, to... that, that was actually going to be the next shit can um, because <laughs> that's what I thought I I'd said... preempt. <laughs> did you see that my response to your response? I, I did. Uh, I, I wish Charlie. Uh, the great thing about Facebook is that uh, you can, you know, absentmindedly wish somebody a very sincere birthday greeting, and uh, I posted on Charlie Bamforth's wall uh, something to the. Actually, I'll, I'll call it up. Um, uh, if I just, can just very quickly. Just got to out, Lucky. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Um, I, I, I did say that to Charlie. Happy birthday, Charlie. Hope you can find a well-made, consistent uh, and fresh beer to enjoy on the day. And uh, Prof decided to open up a can of Smartass and uh, say, I hope you can find a whimsical beer made with uh, birthday cake ingredients and served in a party popper. And uh, Charlie zinged him back by just saying, no, I'm sure the Reinheitsgebot will prevail. So, yeah. So. Happy happy birthday. (laughs) So I think, uh, yes, I I ride with the goodness of Charlie Bamforth in my saddlebag, Prof. (laughs) But uh, anyway, let's get to cards and letters. So that was... not no Facebook reviews. Uh, so no iTunes reviews. Listeners, please remember you can help us out by giving us a review, good, bad, or indifferent, um, on iTunes. Just let other people uh, find us if if you think that we're worth finding, or if if we're worth shouting at the radio to, as I know some uh, listeners have admitted to us that they do. But um, so nothing there. But we do have had a nice tweet from Damien Muscovich, who is. At Damien Muscovich, who tweeted on the weekend. Now he's from he does, he's from Bendigo, 
Um, and he tweeted, long weekend, Sunday evening, fixing the chainsaw and drinking at Stone Brewing Co. and listening to Osbrew's News. Life's good. Um, and I tweeted him and uh, he actually had listened back. Yeah, so he had a bit of a back and forth. So it was nice of uh, Damien to uh, let people know that he was uh, thinking of us. Um, yeah, thank you for that. That, that. that means a lot. I like that. Yeah, I like that sort of stuff. Yeah, that people, you know, and... and Mate, that's when I listen to podcasts. That's when I listen to all of my beer podcasts when I'm doing some chores and it just makes the uh, the vacuuming or the cleaning or the, uh, you know, mowing or even the running. Um, so, you, so you basically do 90% of the time you listen to podcasts is, is when you're drowning out the noise of the podcast. No, because I've got noise-cancelling headphones. Oh, okay. So it, it – no, yes, I mean, I'm – yeah. You shouldn't be operating lawnmowers and, you know – Vacuums and that sort of thing when you when you can't hear. Why? Could be a knock at the door. <laughs> You're not going to hear that anyway. Could be the beer fairy. Uh, mate, anyway, now you had some uh, nice feedback in person. Um, yes, you got some nice, yeah, nice feedback from um, Kerry McBride and from Adam Holloway and uh, from Will. And I'm sorry, I haven't got Will's surname, um, but uh, we did a, a crafty pint blind tasting. Um, and the guys just sort of uh, said to say that they, they like, like our work. So I thought, well, I'll pass that on. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you very much. All independently. It's very good. And, uh, yeah, um, now getting to the filthy Luca part of the show. I need a dollar, 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 that's what I need. Hey, hey, well, I need a dollar, 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 that's what I need. Hey, hey, said I need a dollar, 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 that's what I need. And if I share with Thank you. We have had another person sign up for uh, Patreon, who's become a patron of the show and an executive producer. Um, Paul Pacey, from, who's a regular correspondent to the show, has come on board as a $10 a month uh, sponsor. So there you go, Prof. You're, you're starting I'm up to a couple uh, I'm of, have a beer a fortnight. A beer a fortnight now. But uh, no, thank you very much, um, Paul. So he gets an executive producer credit and we'll have to get in touch with Paul to find out who in the world of beer he would like us to try and get on that he can join us and uh, ask a few questions himself. And uh, yeah, yeah. So listeners, if, if you thank you very much, Paul. It's much appreciated. If you like what we do and you're willing to actually, uh, you know, put your money where your ears are, um, you can jump on and uh, follow the Patreon link and pledge five, ten dollars a month, um, which is just like a subscription um, to a, a magazine, except you get it anyway. Um, for free, but yeah, if you like what we do and you'd like to see Prof uh, get a beer, um, you can you can do that. Uh, what else we got, Prof? Anything else this week, or will we just have a nice little uh, tidy rant? Well, mate, yeah. Unless uh, unless you still haven't found what you're looking for, uh, I think you can probably uh, get some nice beer barrel polka outro music, and uh, we will away. Or I I might see if I can come up uh, while I'm editing this, come up with a better theme song for myself, and uh, see what you and Lockie yeah. uh, think about. <laughs> think of it so prof always good to chat um what's coming up for you this week you've you're heading to auckland heading to auckland for the very first ever auckland gabs at the showgrounds at auckland be there 17th 18th 19th well sorry it's the 18th and 19th but i'll be over there on the 17th look forward because you know you got to get get prepared and we look forward to hearing all about it next week fun. yeah we shall so uh yeah and, and while we're talking about beer festivals i should say that uh Brisbane's Beer Insider Festival tickets will be on sale by the time this comes out. If you're in Brisbane, check it out. We don't have Gabs, but we do have Beer Insider, which is a festival of food, 
uh, beer and music. So uh, get your tickets. And we also have regional flavors coming up, which uh, I'll be chairing the hunting club. So um, or chairing, hosting the hunting club. So uh, yeah, um, that's coming up as well. You can. It's a free event, so you don't need to get tickets, but just mark it in your weekend of 16th, 17th of July. But without, we without any more problems, we, Thanks, we might away. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing all about Gab's Auckland next week. Shall do. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, listeners. drink cider you've got two mums and we're out beautiful I couldn't resist well because then, uh, well, then I actually said it then I actually said tell us about Sam Reid do you want to go and I asked <laughs> And I and I began by asking, who is Sam Reed? There you go. Okay. So this is why I don't do it every week.